Well, good morning, everybody. Um, it is always uh, a joy to open up God's Word uh, with you, and especially today, um, because we are studying uh, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, uh, and that is Psalm 119. So please turn uh, in your copy of God's Word to Psalm 119. Uh, and uh, this is, like I said, one of my favorite chapters. It's also one of the longest chapters, 176 verses. Um, I am not going to preach the whole chapter today, uh, so we will be having lunch at a reasonable hour. Um, so we'll, we'll be only be focusing on one section, and that's verses 9 through 16. All right, so as you turn around, I want, I want to give you a little information about this chapter, 176 verses, and it's all focused on one topic. It is all focused on the Word of God in the life of the believer of God, the Word of God in the child of God. It's, and it is a very basic, uh, but very profound issue. And whenever the Bible tells us about the Bible, whenever it speaks about itself to us, uh, we need to listen. Because it allows the scriptures to refresh our commitment, to reflect on the enjoyment of those scriptures. And I think Psalm 118 does that. I, don't, I can't think of another uh, chapter, another part of the Bible, where the devotion, the believer's devotion to the Word is more excellently portrayed than in Psalm 119. And it goes beyond uh, just a simple, read your Bible every day. Right? This is, Psalm 119 is not saying, just make sure you get up every morning and read it. It, it goes far beyond that. Um, we do need to read. I don't want to. I don't want to minimize that. I mean, just like, just like the farmer needs to do the work. He needs to do the work so he can get the harvest. We have to do the work and read the Bible and study the Bible so that we could be blessed by it. But but the psalmist goes beyond that. It, it speaks about the impact of the Word of God into every area of your life. You read Psalm one nineteen. Read all the 176 verses. It covers every area of life. It covers persecution. It covers when there's enemies. It covers times of depression. It, the Word goes into every part of your life. And, and this is just a beautiful chapter for that. And I think this is really appropriate for us. We need to hear this. Especially as a church, we've been doing our, our Bible reading, right? We have our Bible reading plan. We're reading through it. And we need to remind ourselves, why do we do what we do? Why are we reading the Bible we need to evaluate how we're doing it. Is God using that time? Are we allowing God to use that time to change our lives? And I think Psalm 119 gives us the answer. So today we're going to be looking at Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. And we're going to look at this. It's a very simple uh, but timeless truth. And the timeless truth is that we need God's word for our sanctification, for our worship, and for our joy. We need God's word for those three areas, for our sanctification, for our worship, and for our joy. So let's start and let's read Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. Read with me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of all your, the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. And I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. 
I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. Now, Father, we just come to you and just thank you for giving us this chapter in the Bible, for, um, uh, for using it to encourage us, even now as you just read it, uh, read it uh, to be devoted to your word, to seek after you through your word. And I just ask, Lord, that you would uh, teach us through your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to um, allow the Holy Spirit to uh, work in our hearts, that we would not be resistant to that, but we would just look at these timeless truths, and that we would come to your word with open hearts. And we do ask, Lord, knowing that we are fallen creatures, knowing that we can get so easily distracted, we ask that you would teach us. Be our teacher, Lord, as we study Psalm 119 together. For it's Jesus' name, amen. All right, so a couple, a little something about Psalm 119. It's a very unique psalm, besides the fact that it's the longest psalm, 176 verses. But it's what's called an acrostic. And we can't really appreciate that here. Uh, but in, in the Hebrew, the first stanza, every verse in that stanza starts with A. In the second, every verse in that stanza, in the second stanza, starts with B. And the next one's C, and the next one D. And so imagine if you're a psalmist and you're going to write this 176 verses. I don't think I could think of these, what is this, eight verses? Uh, yeah, eight verses. <laughs> Do a quick count there. Uh, I don't think I could think of eight verses and start with B every single time and make it as beautiful as this psalmist did. So it's very much a unique psalm. It is a beautiful psalm. Um, uh, Spurgeon calls it the golden ABCs. Uh, because it's just so, so beautiful. And what this does, it, it gives a, the psalmist a vehicle to treat God's word comprehensively. Right? We could say this is the A to Z of God's word in your life. And, it, and it, he really treats God's word like a diamond. Um, a, a beautiful diamond, you can see it from afar. I remember buying my wife's ring. Actually, uh, her, her diamond I actually took her to the store and she picked it up without her knowing it. Uh, if you want to know how I did that, contact me later. Um, so we went to the store, we saw that diamond, and he said, that's a pretty good diamond. And we, we brought it closer, and we're looking at it, we're looking at all the different facets of that diamond, and we start to see how excellent it is. And this is the same thing for the Word. You know, we know how wondrous and awesome the Scriptures are, but it isn't until we start to look at the different facets, the different ways this Word applies to our lives, that we could really understand its riches and really apply it to our lives. And this is what the, uh, the psalmist does in verse 9. He, he begins to apply it, and we're going to see first that he's going to apply it, the word to our sanctification. And so verse 9, he brings up this question, and he says, How can a young man keep his way pure? Now this question is not a theological question. It's, it's, it's a very practical question. Uh, and it is so essential to Christian that he addresses it to the young man, but it goes beyond. The, if, you, if you don't consider yourself young, which uh, I guess from one aspect, we're all young because we're all going to live till eternity. But if you don't consider yourself young, this passage still applies to you because it is so essential that even the youngest of us needs to hear this. So it's a very practical question, a question that we all need to be concerned with. And he is not asking in this question, how can a young man keep his way pure? He is not asking, how can I be saved? Is He's not looking soteriologically. He's not looking at salvation. He's looking at devotionally. How can I live my life 
that will be pleasing to the Lord, that, will, that the Lord could look at it and consider it pure. And what is the essential tool that I need so I can live that life characterized by moral purity? Now, you may stop there and ask yourself, well, that's not, or tell yourself, that's not really possible, right? We're, we're sinners. Everyone, every one of us here sitting today is a sinner. And you cannot live a morally pure life. But do not allow the impossibility of perfection in this life to excuse you from the pursuit of that perfection. We must all strive for that perfection. Even if we're not going to get it here in this life, we must all strive for it. Now, if, if, if you don't consider yourself a Christian here, then that striving for perfection is more of a burden. Because we read in the Bible that that perfection, that standard perfection is what God puts on every one of us. And there's no person that who has ever lived besides our Savior Christ who has met God's standard. And so that, that striving for perfection, that's a weight, that's a burden. You can't do it. And, uh, but it, it doesn't have to be that way. Christ can take that burden and change it. And it could become a joy. And this is what it's like for the Christian. For the Christian, the burden of perfection is gone. Christ has already lived that perfect life. And that perfect life is, is the life that we fail to live. And he takes on our sinful life that we do live now. So we're not burdened as believers. We're not burdened to go to God and say, look at my perfect life. Because we could go to God and say, I don't have a perfect life, but Christ did. And he's our righteousness. And God does that. God places our sinful life on Christ, and Christ, and God takes Christ's righteous life, his righteousness, and places it on us. This is a game changer to this question. Because now we can look at that pursuit of perfection. That pursuit of perfection is not a work uh, of, it's not a work for salvation, but it is a fruit of salvation. We could gladly now pursue purity with Christ, knowing that Christ has already been, that Christ is our righteousness. Okay, so this is what the question is asking. This is what Psalmist is asking. What is the means that a young man can live that morally pure life? How can I do this? Well, look at the, the answer. The answer is in the next part of verse 9, by keeping it according to your word. It's keeping it, I think if you have the ESV, it says guarding it. And that might be a more um, exact translation because this is what it means to keep it, right? Where, where you're guarding something, you're protecting something. It is to, to protect your life uh, from sin, to look at your conduct and take out any sin that is, is putting you in a, in a position of of well, of temptation, of, of, of sinning against God. And I, I visualize a garden. If you plant a garden and you walk away from it, what's gonna, and you, don't, you just plant it and walk away, what's going to happen to that garden? Most likely, rodents will come in, uh, bugs that you don't want to be there, insects will start destroying those crops. Uh, if you have kids, kids will definitely run in and start uh, stepping on them and pretending they're monsters and things like that. And, it, and all that fruit that you work so hard to, you know, and planting is, is gone. And we've got to do the same thing with our lives. We, we need our lives as, we need to guard our lives because there is sin there. 
There is sin creeping. There is wrong motives, sinful thoughts that threaten our holiness, and we must guard against it. Okay, so this is the, the pursuit of holiness. This is what it means to, to have your way pure. Now, you may know that, and you may agree with me. Like, yes, we should do that. But there is an essential tool that's missing. This is the question. How can a young man keep his way pure? It's not what should a man be doing, but how can it do it? And verse 9 finishes by keeping it according to your word. It's everything that God said. Everything that is in the Bible, we need it to guide us through our lives. It, it, it will show us where the pitfalls are, where the, where the traps that ensnares us. And we need the Bible to navigate through this life and as we sojourn through this life and reach the, the heavenly city, reach heaven. So scripture is that necessary guidance. You can't live holy without the scripture. And we cannot rely ourselves to know the way. It is not enough to have that desire to do what is right. We, we are ill-equipped. And without cleaning the word, we quickly follow our deceitful hearts. And we fail to live that life. It is only by living in accordance to what God has said in his word, only by looking at what he has said and applying it to our lives that we can grow in sanctification, that we could grow in holiness, that we could pursue Christ-likeness. Okay, so we know this to be true, that we need the word. But we must go beyond this fact too. You could be here to say, okay, I know I need to live this life. I know I need the word. And you walk out here and your life will, no lo- will not be different. And the psalmist recognizes this. Look at verse 10. Uh, we're going to read verse 10 through 11. And I want you to notice something here. There's a theme here. So right after he answers his question, he says, With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. So what's the, what's the theme there? theme there is that the, the psalmist is taking what he's just, he just answered, that question, and he's saying, it must be in my heart. It has to go beyond just knowing this. It has to be in your heart. I think a lot of you know this because we, we've dealt with the heart in the Bible before, but this is not a, an, just an, an emotional response to, to the Scripture. We can't say, yes, I love it. It goes beyond that. The heart in, in the Old Testament uh, and in the New Testament is talking about the whole person. Your heart det- determines what you want, right? what you will. It determines what you desire, what you're passionate about. What's in your heart determines what you, what you think about. And what goes on in your heart is going to determine how you deal with sin, how you, how you encounter with sin, how, how, is you, how do you deal with those temptations. Okay, so we're going to look at this heart and, and see how it relates to the word and, and, and to our sanctification. And verse 10 is where it starts. With all my heart, I have sought you. So what is a psalmist doing wholeheartedly? I think we put a lot of emphasis on, on, on just getting up and reading your word or reading the Bible or memorizing the scripture. And those are great things. I don't want to knock those things. We need to be doing this. But that is not what we do wholeheartedly. That is a means to end. What we do wholeheartedly is seek the Lord. If you were just to open up scripture and read it and memorize it, you would be no different than those uh, secular university professors who probably know the scripture 
a little bit better than I think of me, for sure. They know scripture, but it's not in their hearts. So we need to see what the goal is here. The goal is to seek the Lord, to pursue Him, to know Him. It is to have that, that wondrous, beautiful fellowship with Him through His Word. And I love the verb here, to seek. It is, this is like an intense pursuit. You know, I picture like a, like a cheetah running after a gazelle. It's all this explosion of energy to catch what it is that, that you want. And the psalmist is using that energy. There is an intense amount of energy used by the whole man of God to seek after God himself through his word. It is that wholehearted pursuit that we need to have, wholehearted pursuit for the Lord. Uh, but he still needs God. Don't think that once we got that, we're good. Look at what it says in part 10. Right after that, right after he says, with my whole heart I have sought you, he says, do not let me wander from your commandments. We've got to be real with ourselves here. Our hearts are, can be easily led astray. I like how one commentator puts it. He says, the man of God exerts himself, exerts himself but he does not trust himself. We're putting the energy to seek after the Lord, but we can't do it alone. And we certainly can't think that we have everything it takes to seek after him wholeheartedly. Our hearts are, ourselves are deceiving. So how does a wholehearted pursuit of God look like if you can't trust yourself? Well, it begins with realizing that you have fallen short. It begins with realizing that you have a great need to rely on God. The psalmist here, when he's looking at the word, there's no room for self-sufficiency. There's no room for self-reliance. It is only a complete dependence on God that he could possibly even obey his commandments. Now, we know this. We actually sing about this. There's this familiar hymn that says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And I think you guys know it. You don't have to sing it. Prone to leave the God I love. We know that one. And that is so typical of our hearts. But what comes next? In, in, in that hymn, what comes next? Here's my heart, right? Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. He's seeking the Lord. Cannot be wholehearted if we do not trust the Lord with our hearts initially. And that's so beautiful to me. That's just such a weight. Because I look at myself and I say, there's a weakness. I can't do it. You know, my legs are too short. I, I, my, my thoughts are too shallow. I look at this and I have a hard time seeing God. There are times in, in, when, you, when you wake up and you're just like, ah, oh, I'm not feeling it. But verse 10, do not let me wander from your commandments. This is a prayer to God so that God keeps him in his commandments. We have to trust God, and, and God is not hindered by our weaknesses. God brings us to himself, keeps us on that path. That's how a wholehearted pursuit looks like. It's not just on one side. It's not just you doing it. It's God working in you. So the Psalms continues. We, we, we see that it must be a wholehearted pursuit to rely on God, and, and only then could we, could we be sanctified. Only then could we not sin, not stray from his commandments, but we must have a wholehearted value for the word. Look at verse 11. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
Now, the translation there, I think uh, when I first memorized this verse, I was in high school and I was using New King James, your word I have hidden in my heart. So hidden and treasure, they kind of have the, the same idea where there's something that you value, something that you care so much about that you want to keep it somewhere safe, somewhere where you could use later. And you have the idea of a safe, right? If you have a, I don't have a safe in my house because there's nothing valuable in there. Um, but you might have a safe, and when you, what you put in the safe is something that you want to be not only kept safe, but you're going to have to go back to it later. Something you value. And for the believer, that word must be something you value. It must be something that you hide away, not just in your Bible, not just in, in, your, in your journal, but something that you value and you hide away in your heart. So, that's, so what is that? What is it that you're hiding away in your heart? It says, your word I have treasured in my heart. Now, there's something really great about Psalm 119, and that is the constant synonyms that it uses. It doesn't just say God's word, God's word, God's word, God's word. It has multiple syn- uh, different, different words for that, for that idea. And this, kind of, this, this word here is, is the idea of uh, or ca- can have the idea of promise. So you're looking at God's word. This is everything God has said, everything God has promised, and, and you're, you're keeping it in your heart. And if you're keeping it in your heart, that means the word of God is going to affect how you think. The word of God is going to affect your emotions. Right? If you're struggling with bitterness or anger, the word of God is going to take care of that. It's going to sanctify you. It affects our emotions, and, and, it, and it makes us do all that we do for the glory of God. But that's only if it's in your heart. If you're going to the Word every morning, and you're not putting it in your heart, you're, you're keeping the Word in the Bible, not taking it with you, then you're not going to be sanctified. Now, th- the connection here is really strong. Why does the psalmist treasure the Word of God? Why does he do this in the first place? He gives us the answer. Second part of verse 11, That I may not... Sin against you. And the Hebrew there is, is, is really strong. It's not just that he might not sin against you. It's a, a possibility of not sinning against you. He, it's, it's more his desire to not sin is stronger. The, the Hebrew, you, we, I would retranslate it as that I may never sin against you. That's how strong his desire is. Is he going to sin against God? Yes, because we are sinners and he's a sinner. But his desire is, I never want to sin against you, so I'm going to keep your word with me. I'm going to keep this word that I have value so much in my heart so that my sin doesn't come between us. It would be a complete detriment to his pursuit of God if, if that sin was there. So he doesn't want it, and he never wants to sin against God, and, and we need the word of God to do that. And I know I've experienced this. I, there have been times where I stepped away the word where I didn't read it for a week or, or I just not, it just doesn't become a, pro, a priority in my life. And, and what tends to happen? Well, I tend to get more sinful, right? I, and what, I think what happens to all of us is that if we don't heart, have that word in our heart, what you begin to notice is those works of the flesh, right? Those anger, uh, uh, Malice, lust, um, I can't remember the whole list, but uh, you have all these works of the flesh, all these sins start to arise unimpeded. But as soon as you get back to the word, God starts to use that. And God uses it like a precise surgeon uses a scalpel. He goes in there and cuts that sin out. 
And he cuts this in and replaces it with his desire to submit to the word. And we need that word in our hearts. We need it for our pursuit of holiness, for our pursuit of God. And without it, we are, we are clueless. We are subject to, our, to our, the sinfulness of our own hearts. But with the word residing in our hearts, we have that guidance now to live that morally upright life. And it begins to affect the heart. It grows us towards Christ-likeness. And it, and, and it sanctifies us. So verses 9 through 11, this is our sanctification, but it doesn't stop there. The psalmist realizes that. He says, I need your word so that I don't sin against you. And in verse 12, here comes this, this sudden uh, explosion of praise almost. Where does that come from? Look, verse 11, your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. What this shows us is that the, the psalmist has a very real, very personal devotion to the Word of God. It doesn't just affect his horizontal relationships, his relationships to the, the people around him, but it primarily affects his vertical relationship, his relationship to God. And it results in worship. And this is the attitude we have to have when we approach scriptures. We approach scriptures as an act of worship. That's why we're doing it, because we're pursuing God. And scriptures... I mean, God uses the scriptures in such an amazing way. Even if you approach scriptures without that, God uses that, and now you begin to worship God as you're looking at his truths. I mean, how do you, how do you respond to, to the different things that we read? Like, God spoke the world, God spoke the universe into existence. What do you do with that? It says that God chose you before the foundations of the world. What would be the proper response to that? I mean, we keep reading in the Bible that, that we were helpless, that we were enemies of God. But then we read in Romans 5.8 that God demonstrates his own love towards us, towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We've just been looking in, in the past Sundays that, uh, that Christ died on the cross and that he was verifiably dead and that he was buried and that he was rose again and that God being rich in mercy, mercy with the with a great love with which he loved us, um, made us alive together with Christ. I think there's only one response to those truths. You, 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 it causes you, if you're, if you're looking at this word and putting it in your heart, it, it causes you to worship him, causes you to bow down before God for who he is and what he has done. And this is what we, we've been focusing on for the year, right? We started this, this year, well, I guess around February, with the, the whole KFCA, right? You look, at the, you look at the Bible, from that you get knowledge, uh, you, you put your trust in it, you have faith in it, it affects your character, it results in actions. And this is what it needs to be. This is the, the, the effect of the scripture in our lives. It should result in praise. Is that what your Bible reading looks like? Is that what your meditations look like? Is it going to praise for the Father? Well, the psalmist continues here. He, he does praise the Lord, but he, again, he recognizes that he needs the Lord's help. He says, teach me your statutes. This worship is not alone. This worship is not isolated. It is not just done by the, the psalmist. He needs God's help to teach him these amazing truths. 
So the psalmist is asking the great teacher, teacher, teach me these things. And look at notice the word here. This is statutes. A statute, if, following the, what this word means in the original language, it, it is something that is etched in stone, something that is permanent. So we're, we're, what we are reading here is not something that it will just apply to our lives now and then it becomes irre, uh, irrelevant. What we're looking here is something that is not going to go away, something that will prove to be useful to us and it will continue teaching us. And this is what the, what the psalmist does. And if you read Psalm 119, he does this repeatedly. He over and over and over again, he says, I'm your humble student. Please teach me your infinite and, and um, well, your infinite wisdom, something that's not going to go away, your eternal truth. No wonder he praises. Right? If God was teaching you directly, which he is, right? every time we read this word and, and you feel that conviction, that's the Holy Spirit teaching you. Every, every time you, you glean some wisdom, that's the father instructing your ch this child, instru instructing you. And it, it just causes us to worship God. So this is how the word affects us. It affects our sanctification. affects us fighting our sin. And, and it, affects our it affects our worship. The word of God leads us to worship. And the psalmist continues and says, it affects our joy. So we saw it affects our, our sanctification, it affects our worship, and now it's going to affect our joy. Look, at me, uh, with, look with me in verse 13. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. And I love the imagery here of verse 13. Verse 13, with my lips, and at the end of verse 13, all the ordinances of your mouth. This is from... God's mouth out of your lips. These are the, these are the truths of Scripture that we, we, could, we could hang on to. When we speak, when we proclaim God's word, this is something that God has said, and that's what the imagery is getting at. The origin, the source of this is God. And so we're not just saying something that I believe in. You're, when, you, when you preach the gospel, when you proclaim it, when we sing of it, in, in the songs like we were just doing a moment ago, we're not saying something that we came up with. This is all something that God has ordained, something that, that God has spoken. And it, it should fill us with such joy. Um, I mean, uh, such joy that you don't know what to do with. Um, have, have you ever been filled with, have you ever had like some news that you just wanted to tell somebody so badly? Something that, that you just had to speak it. Um, I, I, thought, I was thinking about this as I was preparing for the sermon, and, and I thought of my wife, because she gave me a piece of news one time that kind of blew me away. We were, um, we were at Disneyland. Uh, it's the happiest place on earth. And, <laughs> and uh, she, we were, I don't know what we were doing. I think we were waiting for like, the Incredibles family so we could take a picture with them. Uh, that's not really part of the story. So, <laughs> so we were waiting, and out of nowhere, she gives me this little plastic stick with a blue line on it. And I'm looking at this plastic stick, I'm like, okay, typical pregnancy test. And I kind of like, I look back up at her, and I look back at this, I'm like, oh wait, I think she's trying to tell me something. And I, I'm looking at her, and I, and I think the only, said, the only thing I said, like multiple times was, like, are you serious? Are you joking? Is it serious? 
And then I think I was half expecting like some cast members from Disney and like Mickey Mouse to come up and say, I gotcha. Um, but no, she was telling the truth. And uh, that was, that was uh, just a moment of like great news that, that this is when we had Calvin, now we're gonna have a daughter. Um, and I just asked my wife, like, how did you keep that from me? Not in a, like, how did you keep that from me? But in a, in a way of, uh, how were you able to not say anything during the whole day at Disneyland? And she said that she thought about it every single moment. Uh, and she's just looking for the right time. But it was, it was burning in her, I guess it was in your purse. I would never, never have looked there. Uh, <laughs> it, it was just burning a hole there. And, um, and I just think, so we have these God's judgments. What, what God said is right or, is, or wrong, his ordinances. And where, where does that joy go? It, it ought to erupt in praise. It ought to be proclaimed as we talk to different people about God, as we sing out loud. It is our joy, and it, and it results in, in rejoicing and proclaiming it. So we declare it in verse 13, and in verse 14, we rejoice in it. And the, the psalmist looks at verse 14, and he says, I rejoice in the way of your testimonies. Now here's another, another synonym. It's, 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 it's another note in this symphony about God's word. And this word for testimonies is just the word we use for testimony. When someone gives their testimony, they're giving the way they saw reality happen, right? I saw this guy, he jumped into the car and he left. Right? That's, that's their perspective. Well, what we have in the scripture is the testimony that's more important than anyone else's, more reliable than, than anyone else's, is a testimony of God. And that is the only testimony that could be truly unbiased. And it is the only testimony that could lack nothing. It is the only testimony, testimony that gives us everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. So the psalmist says that he rejoices, not just in the testimonies, but in the way of these testimonies. He's looking at the, of what God says, the way God says reality, and says, that's the way I want to live my life. I want to live my life in accordance to what you said and what you say to be true. And it's not just a rejoicing. He says, as much as in all riches. That really paints a picture, I think. If you're going to rejoice in the word of God, do you rejoice as much as in all riches? And so ask yourself this question. What if you inherited an enormous amount of money? I'm, so I'm, I'm saying like multiple zeros, and not, not just the zeros on the, on the right of the decimal place, but you know, beyond that, where you never have to work again. How would you feel about that? I mean, there's no doubt, and it's not wrong to feel ecstatic, like almost relieved that you don't have to worry about money again, and you focus on serving the Lord and serving his people. Um, but this is how the psalmist rejoices in the word. And so while, while a, a, a worldly person might rejoice in, in that material gain, we rejoice in the riches of the word we, that we have here. And we've got to make sure that joy is there. Well, the, the joy in God's word causes us uh, not only to, to proclaim it, to rejoice in it, but in verse 15, we, we meditate on it. If something is joyful to you, if you're enjoying something, you, you focus on it. Right? I remember when I was a kid and I was playing video games and, man, I knew those video games really well. I had like a thick book and I knew all the codes uh, and it was something I enjoyed and so I, I thought about it. 
And God's word, God's word is that joy where we should be so focused on it, that we should be meditating on it. That's what he says here. Meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. He's just thinking about it over and over and over again. It, it doesn't, doesn't escape him. He doesn't leave it alone. He, he's just always with him. And that's what we expect. If something is in your heart and, and it moves you to worship, you're going to be meditating on it. And verse 16, he, goes, he, he continues, Why does he keep thinking about this? It's because it is his delight. I shall delight in your scriptures. It is his pleasure. He looks at all the treasures in the world and says, Nope, this is my treasure. This is my pleasure. This is where I get my joy in. And what else could offer you more, more joy? The word of God brings us closer to God himself. Right? It, it, it is how we seek after him. There's no, there's no other joy that could, that could even draw close to that. And the writer ends with this statement, a very declarative statement. I shall not forget your word. Again, very emphatic in the Hebrew. I shall never forget your word. And the word forget is not like what happens to me sometimes when I read the word and, and I go out by my day and it's like, I read something today and it's not there. That's not the type of forgetting we have. The sense of forgetting is the same sense that, that Moses was talking to Israel. Before they go to the promised land, he says, do not forget the Lord God. Do not forget the law of God. In the sense of keep with the law of God. Obey them. But what does the... We know what happened to, the, to, the, to Israel, right? They go to the promised land, and what did they do? We'll say they forgot God, right? They started worshiping the gods of that land and disregarding the laws of God. So for the psalmist, he will never forget. And as we dive into the word, as we allow the word to speak to us, as we become word-saturated, we will not forget the word. We will remain obedient to it. And again, this is only by God's help. I'm not saying this that you have now the power to do it. It's only by God's help. Only that it is God who keeps us from, from straying. So we see that we are sanctified by the word, that the word moves us to worship, and that it fills us with joy. If you're going to see God, it begins on meditating on scripture. And the word should become your delight because God is our delight. And this is what God has said. This is God's word. And my brothers and sisters, as, as I wrap up my sermon here, I just want to encourage you to, to guard your hearts because we are prone to wander. We do allow sin to come into our hearts. And we got to watch out for that because it is so easy for something to rob us from the joy that should be, that should be coming from the word. I mean, think about all the things that come out. I mean, money, Right? We, we're, we rejoice as in all riches, but we don't rejoice in material riches. Yet we often allow money to become the treasure of our hearts and not the word. Bitterness, right? bitterness and unforgiveness blocks your reception from the word and clouds your image of God. Laziness keeps us imprisoned from the intense pursuit we ought to have to seek the Lord. And pride drowns out the pounding of scriptures onto our hearts. We gotta watch out. We gotta go back to what the psalmist started. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can you keep your way pure? Is by reading scriptures, by meditating on it. And as you do that, you see God 
begins to sanctify you. You see God encourage and grow your worship like you've never seen before, and, and you have joy. Now, if, if you've seen God work in this, if, if your Bible reading is doing this, then I rejoice with you. That is a blessing. That is something to, to continue to praise God about. But, but maybe you're in a season of life where, where the Bible is not speaking, where you're looking at the Bible and there's, there's no joy there. Well, like the psalmist, I encourage you to continue seeking God, to ask him over and over again, Lord, teach me your statutes. Look at, examine your life. Is there sin there? And continue going to God, and, and he'll be faithful. You're, if you're his child, he'll be faithful to answer your prayer. And, and if, you, if you don't know what the, the Bible, if you don't enjoy reading it, yet, it, it means nothing to you, then let me encourage you with this. There is something in the Bible for you, and that is the gospel. It's for everyone. The gospel tells us that we don't have to work to prove ourselves to be morally right to God. We look to Jesus. Jesus did that, and we could rest in that, and we could have his righteousness before us, and then we could live that life of moral, moral purity before God. Ultimately, this book is about Jesus. He is the Word incarnate. He is the ultimate fulfillment. He, he is the source of our hope. He is the one who teaches every man. And, and we owe Christ our allegiance and our worship. And, and so it must begin with him, and it must end with him. And we must praise him for being our word. Let's pray. Father, we uh, so often fall short of what we ought to do. And we thank you, Lord, for being that Father that, that comes to us, that sees our weakness and, and not only encourages us, but, but strengthens us. Lord, you're the one that keeps us from straying from your commandment. And Father, we, we keep asking you that you would continue doing that. Lord, keep us from being so, so prideful that we would think we would be okay, that we have it all together, but keep us depending on you, Lord. And I thank you for this word. Thank you that we could look at, it, look at here and, and be encouraged to stay in the scriptures, to continue seeking you in the scriptures. And I pray, Lord, that you would do a mighty work in our hearts, that, that this week we would be praising the Lord because everything you have shown us, all the truth that you have revealed to us. Lord, let us come back and, and be an encouragement to one another as we share the, these amazing truths that, that you taught us. So, Father, be with us this week. Help us to, to proclaim your word. Help it to be our joy and continue growing us in Christ-likeness. Praise Jesus' name. Amen. All right, buddy, so that's it. We're not going to do any worship, so have a blessed week. Uh, Tuesday night, men's meet.